Welcome back to the Dynasty Digest, where we give you a consumable Dynasty perspective. I'm Jake. I'm joined by Tim, as always. And before we hop into the intro, guys, run down to the comments and tell us who you think is the most overpriced or underpriced receiver on Keep Trade Cut right now. But before we tell you who we have, we got to roll that intro. He has the hearts of a lot of fantasy players. I like it a lot, honestly. I, like, I'm, I'm in for Death, taxes, and the 2022 wide receiver class. I like what you were saying, Skylar. No, no player is completely untouchable. I think you guys really... I, had not, I have not really heard this yet. I listen to a lot of pods, and I have not heard this yet. Well done, gentlemen. I'm really impressed. All right. This week, as always... We have players that we're going to talk about, but we're going to start this week off similar to last week, where we're going to talk about just some theory when it comes to, especially buying and selling players and, you know, asset allocation and when the, when the right time to make some of these moves are. So Tim, why don't you introduce us to that topic? Yeah. So we've been talking about trading and, and different approaches to it or, or levels to it. But I think that we, if we're going to be talking about trading, we should even talk about just even the theory of how you want to set up your roster, what your risk appetite is for certain moves to be made how how you want um your roster to be set up for boom bust players or floor versus ceiling players all that stuff is very important and to and to me i i think it's the the easiest ways to kind of talk about it to start out talking about it in startup value so i i kind of just uh, assigned certain values to the first 10 picks in a startup first 10 rounds. So like, let's say the first pick first round pick is like two and a half first, depending on the player that's there. It could be more, it could be less, but just two and a half for the round. And then round two is like one and a half. And then I signed first round picks for rounds three, four, five, six, and seven, and then half a first round pick for eight, nine, and 10. So that actually um, cumulatively is 10 and a half first rounders. So approximately maybe 13 to 15 first round picks is your total roster value after a, after a startup, depending on like the depth, the starting lineup, things like that. So the reason why I bring that up is because the further away that we get from the startup, teams are going to separate. I call it, a, it's an angle over a distance. So the, the, the bigger the angle and the longer the distance. So if we're talking three or four seasons in, the teams that drafted well or hit on the players that they drafted or the players didn't get injured or... They hit on the rookie picks, things like that. The roster valuations are going to be far different than the beginning when the startup hits. So if we're looking at 13 to 15 uh, first round picks as a total valuation of a roster, it may end up being that the bad teams are worth five to six first because they missed on a lot of players or players retired, players got hurt, players lost roles. And the top teams in the league may be 20 plus first rounders. So when it comes to that, you kind of want to look at it as like a ratio when it comes to the actual positions that you're, you're you're working with inside your roster. And if it's a super flex league, a lot of that value, the value in the assessment of the value is going to be revolving around the quarterbacks. Right. And I think something that's really important to look at is the top end quarterbacks where if you have a roster, let's say you, you missed on a lot of players or you had players age out, but you have all this value sunk into one position, which is the quarterback which I agree with. It should be one of the most valuable positions on your roster. But if you don't have a roster to support that level of player, it may be more beneficial for you to move that quarterback for multiple assets, move down at quarterback, maybe still find um, points that are comparable or even blow it up and have a complete rebuild from the studs where you don't even want old quarterbacks. You may take them back and trade, but then you may be looking to move them right away to Re, to regain value or to have the ability to have the lottery picks to take shots in a draft or fungible assets to make trades with. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me when it comes to like recognizing how to allocate your assets is you don't want to put too many of your assets in one basket either. So that's that's another thing that I really like to stress in this situation where like, you know, you get through the startup, right? Everything is looking great. You've got some young players, some good players. Right after the startup is not the time to be like, you know what? I think Joe Mixon needs to be on this roster. Like uh, right after the startup, first of all, is the hardest time to trade. Every every startup I've ever been in, everybody's always hyped. They're like, oh, let's get these last two rounds down. I'm ready to trade. And it's like, we just drafted these guys five minutes ago. We're like, we're not, we're not ready to trade these guys. But those are going to be when the values are the absolute highest on the players. So recognizing that, you know, immediately after the startup is not a time to, you know, throw a bunch of eggs in a singular basket or, you know, focus too heavily on anything like that. But it's also an important time to really assess your team and be like, all right, I walked out of the startup. What do I actually look like? Everything looks great on paper until you see the team and you actually plug in the lineup and you're like, oh, this is, this is not great, Bob. Or you're like, this is awesome. I love this team. Um, so it's, you know, that timeline that you're talking about, it, it's a really big thing for me. Um, and then I always like to really, really hone in on that championship window. Like that's the biggest thing for me is because those windows are, uh, I think, bigger than people realize. Um, you know, there's... If you make the playoffs and you don't have a trade deadline, go get some assets. If you didn't make the playoffs, start selling. But when you're halfway through the season, like week nine in a league, I was like two and seven. I made the playoffs. It's anything is possible. So it's just an important thing to like recognize. And that team was definitely a pretender team. That was not a contending team in any way, shape or form. I lucked my way into the playoffs. So I was still selling assets through that situation. There was no amount of assets I could have purchased that would have helped that team win a championship. Um, and then, you know, recognizing on on that team as well that I had I had assets that I couldn't afford. Like I I could not afford to keep them because they were making my roster too good to be bad. And then and that's sometimes all it takes to really know whether or not you can you can trigger a rebuild or not. I almost lost a uh, uh the first overall pick in a league this year simply because I had Justin Fields and Christian Watson. I can't not have them in my lineup. And they're dropping 80 points combined some weeks. Like it was just little things like that. So it's really important that you recognize where your assets are and how, how they're dispersed between your team. Because as bad as that team was, it almost ended up being too good. So there's you really have to be careful with both of the extremes. You don't wanna to be too bad that you can't build back up or it's gonna be a three, four, five year rebuild. Honestly, if a rebuild is taking longer than like two-ish years, I think your team is struggling or you are struggling in whatever you're doing and you need you need to you know reevaluate the situation there a little bit. But it's really, really important to recognize how you allocate your assets because it can set you up for a, a dynasty, which is what we're all shooting for here, or it can bite you right in the ass in about three weeks. Yeah, I 100% agree with you that the startups are the worst time to trade because the players that are looking to trade after the startups are trying to trade players they think they got out of value. But the reason why they got a meta value was because other people were not trying to pick them until they got picked. Exactly. So they'll they'll try to demand more. I 100% agree with you. Now, the timing of a rebuild 
or the length of, of the timing of a rebuild really depends on the quality of the roster. If you took over an orphan, it was complete trash. It may take you longer. Yes, but that is a completely different situation. Yeah. I will admit that. You have to be very well, very aware though of like almost at that time that your moves are even more sensitive because you can't afford to miss, but you don't want to be stingy in the terms of that you're holding on to players like, for example, like a Matt Breida, right? Right. Matt Breida may end up being a backup running back in the, with the Giants, but he does not fit your rebuild plan. So yeah. if you're holding him, praying, hoping and praying that you can get a third pick, third round pick out of him, that's not the right way to do it because what you want to do is you want to fill your bench with assets that have a chance of accruing value and accruing performance right. where Brita is what he is, where he may be valuable to the Saquon owner or Saquon goes down, but that means your market's really limited. And I'm not always saying to pick up players so you can trade them, but in the, the essence of the reason why you would be holding Matt Brita would be because you're trying to trade him, And that's just not the situation you want to be in, in that situation. Yeah. And then, you want to, you want to think of those situations like really, that's when you want to have those those buy low players on your bench, right? Because you want to get these assets that are at their, their lowest possible value or their lowest perceived value. And you are doing that because there's a range for it to go up. We've seen some of these players that we're, you know, we're acquiring be valued just a couple months ago as a much better asset than they're currently being valued at. So there's really, really adept ways that you can make jumps there. But like, if you notice that you're the, the Alec Pierce manager, for example, is really souring on the guy and he's going to give him away for a third round pick or a, a Matt Breida and a fourth, or, you know, just as an example, just something minimal, the, the path of him increasing his value is a lot larger than the path of Matt Breida plus a fourth round pick next year, increasing that value. So that that's just one thing you, you really want to keep an eye on, you know, those aging assets they're fun. It's fun to look at your roster and be like, I got Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco. But if you're letting Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco hold you back from making moves that actually can help your team, you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. And another thing that uh, a guy like Pierce offers you is youth. So what he does is, is he increases your window for that, for, for your team to mature, for it to get to a certain level that it can be competitive. Where if we look at that championship window where if you're talking com uh, contender versus pretender, if you dump too many assets into uh, a lineup that isn't going to be championship material, all you're doing is helping someone else get, get higher first or second round draft picks. Where if you're a contender, you can really leverage those assets for players that are going to per perform better than those picks that are going to be there. If you, if you win and you're in a 12-team league and you give up the 112 for a very productive player, the, the likelihood that that 112 even reaches the performance of the player that you traded for, maybe on a limited window basis, may not ever reach those heights. So you're, you're already getting the better player and you're winning championships because of it. So a lot of this has to do more or less with where you're at in your window, what the risk appetite is, things like that. I think also like understanding the value of premium versus non-premium picks when I'm talking like the 112 or second round picks. For example, if you're in a rebuild, and this isn't just all about rebuild, but rebuilds are very easy to describe because of the way that your roster is valuable and the risks that you're allowed to take, which you can take with the championship roster as well, but they just, the lessons apply more to a rebuild where the value of a second round pick, which is not considered a premium asset, you can take the risk on a Will Levis. I'm not a Will Levis fan. He was my 204 when it came to rookie drafts, but he did, he did go in second round in the NFL draft, which really kind of leans into that he's going to be a second round pick 
And if you're looking for youth at quarterback, you're looking for that, that lottery ticket at quarterback, he could be a good option. Not saying he's going to hit. It's just more the practice of there's those opportunities. Mac Jones, uh, uh, what, three seasons ago was falling into the second round or end of the first round where he did have a great rookie year. He did increase in value. You could have moved him if you wanted to. He's my my ultimate buy this offseason. He's, he's the guy I'm buying the most of. So I truly believe in Mac Jones bouncing back and that Patriots offense bouncing back. So even if you took him in the second round, you um, enjoyed that rookie year and then the second year wasn't as good. But you still have had found a quarterback that was producing points for less than premium value, premium cost. So that's more or less the, the lesson with the second round picks. And um, I think it's important too, even after the startup to understand startup values, because yes, a league is ongoing. The market in the, in the, in the league that's ongoing is much different than a market in a startup. But if you understand how these players are valued and understand where the tiers are, even, even in a startup, like we understand the first six to seven picks that are quarterbacks, not, you know, not including Chase or Jefferson are going to be higher level quarterbacks than the other quarterbacks coming off where, yeah, you might've gotten Dak at 202, but Dak at 202 is not a value. Dak, Dak isn't worth the same level that close to a, a first round startup quarterback right. at 202. So understanding that you may be able to either buy or sell Dak at a better price than what is actually the market where or, the market price is different than his performance where you might be able to sell him for two and a half first and that's a win, or you might be able to buy him for less than two first because of, you know, however he's perceived by the current roster he's on. So those are things to kind of pay attention to, but you also want, once again, want to know where your roster is at because you don't want to back yourself into a corner where you've put all your assets in the players that aren't going to help you win titles, but they've either made your lineup pretty or now you're three fourths of the way filled with the lineup, but you can't fill the rest up because you don't have assets to, to, make trades or yeah. make moves so that's kind of where you want to avoid those realms as much as possible so that's why a rebuild might take longer because if you're just trying to accumulate more assets to take more lottery picks especially at the running back position it may take a little bit more time but you've really solidified those other positions yeah definitely and i think the biggest thing to keep in mind too is that when we talk about the premium versus non-premium assets that doesn't have to just be draft capital either like there are players that are luxuries and these are the things that you want to have on your team and then there are the things that you like you need on your team if you're trying to win a super flex league without two d two really good quarterbacks you're going to struggle i know we call it the the qb2 spot on the roster your goal should be that your qb2 is a qb1 right you want as great as it is to plug kenny pickett into your lineup every week take your 11 points and call it a day you're more likely to win a championship if you have Burrow and Lamar, if you have Hertz and Daniel Jones, even like these guys who have the upside to, to finish as, as the quarterback one any single week. These are the, those are premium assets. And then you have your non-premium guys. You have your, you know, stacking a bunch of I've got a bunch of rosters where my quarterback room is like Lamar and then Jacoby Brissett. Taylor Heineke, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, Gardner Minshew, like just a bunch of assets that are there. I need quarterbacks. Everybody needs quarterbacks. Quarterback essentially is a premium asset because of the scoring potential for them. But I have a bunch of non-premium assets that, that somebody may value as premium and can increase in value. And again, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where you want assets that can increase in value. So if you can use non-premium assets to get assets that can jump into the premium tier, in that way it's a great investment 
that being said, don't buy every backup quarterback in your league for a third, but there's ones out there that you can identify have a lot of upside, especially if we've seen them be starters as of late. Something I want to, I just want to um, jump in real quick. When we talk about the two premium quarterbacks, I agree. You want the premium quarterbacks as much as possible, but you make, want to make sure that you don't, you don't dump too many of your limited um, assets. Like, because they, uh, I can't think of the word I want to use right now, but the, you don't have infinite assets. You have a, a yep. finite, not infinite. You have finite amount of assets that you can use to allocate to your roster. So when it comes to, I like using Dak because I, I think it's, he's a really good example. When Dak only scores 17 or 18 points a game, to me, he's not premium. But he's uh, close to a QB1, you know, QB13, 14. Sometimes QB1, maybe QB11, which is, I'm, I'm not saying that's bad. But what I mean is, though, the amount of assets that you will give up for him will determine how you can work with the rest of your roster. So yep. I agree with you. But, like, that's why I preach Geno so much because yep. Geno only costs you, you know, a non-premium asset to go get him. And he can perform like a premium asset. Yep. That's where Gino, Kirk, Russ, Stafford, a lot of guys we've talked. That's a lot of the guys that we pick to talk about on these shows have been non-premium assets, like have been potentially premium assets that are non-premium prices. And then we're telling you to sell non-premium assets when they're at premium prices, which is where this whole concept of our of this episode of, of the digest that we do is, is it's really just all about, you know understanding where the asset is currently at and where it can be and recognizing that sometimes you are at the absolute ceiling, even if you don't think it's the ceiling and it's okay to sell before the hype is fully hyped because it means that you're going to get the best possible return for that player. And you're not going to be stuck if something goes wrong with that asset. Exactly. And that's a huge trap is that when someone is really looking at name or like rose colored glasses of a situation, what could be, and then it's not, and then you're kind of just stuck. That's why I'm preaching the move Tony. Tony could absolutely work out, but the likelihood that Tony is is going to be a top 24 wide receiver or even higher than that, to me, is so low. And I can go get myself a guy that I can take a risk on that could be top 10. And I would much rather do that than, you know, well, you know, Tony's like the number one receiver in that offense and blah, blah, blah. But that's never how that offense works. Even yeah. Tyreek didn't get premium target share. Tyreek was just amazing as a player and really could work well with Mahomes because Mahomes could find him on a secondary read after the play breaks down and the pocket breaks down. Like that's really where the value is in Tyreek with Mahomes. So that's and once again, the last like the, the last thing I want to say about this is really have an understanding of an appropriate timeline. Like don't lie to yourself because the, the more you're honest with yourself about where your roster's at, the easier it is for you to be free flowing, making moves and not be tied to players because it takes or because you like this guy or because, well, he might end up working out. No, you can, you can make moves, you know, move them along for either someone that is younger, that has a higher upside that you could flip again with a, a ROI or that you could keep on your roster because he's a high performer. Um, so you basically kind of take out the emotional ties to your team, just be honest. And then I see it a lot and I, it, it, it kind of drives me nuts when teams have two premium quarterbacks, but they're the rest of their roster is barren. You just can't do that because you've sunk too many assets into a team that, that really requires five or six players and you only have two of them. So in those situations, yes, you, you want to hold on to those quarterbacks as much as you can. But if, when it comes to having to build a full roster, sometimes you just got to ship them. 
and you like I said, you might not even get a quarterback back because it might just be that this is a total rebuild from the studs and you just got to get as much in terms of performative assets on your team where, yeah, Mahomes puts up 30, but it, you got a running back that puts up two, two flex spots that puts up puts put up four each. You know, your team's not ready to yeah. compete with those guys. And all you're doing is you're you're giving yourself an opportunity for, for Mahomes to get hurt or Allen to get hurt or Allen to decline in performance and lose value where to the point where when you try to trade him away, he's not worth as much as he is right now. Yep. I had a roster where I had Travis Kelsey and Josh Allen. That was pretty much it. And I packaged them in a deal. I got Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, Christian Watson, and I think Njoku as part of it. So it, it's, you know, as nice as it was to have a, a premium asset of a Josh Allen and of a, a Travis Kelsey at that on the team, I was in no position to have those assets. I was not a competitive team, no matter how, no matter how many 50 point weeks those two gave me combined, it wasn't making up for, for the other holes on my team. So I think that's one of the biggest things is you really just need to be honest about what your situation looks like and, and recognize when it's the right time. And, and that's very hard sometimes. But if, if you pay enough attention, you'll you'll understand the ebbs and flows of the, the team cycle and you'll know when the right time, at least have a really good idea of when the right time is to make those jumps. But stay out of that realm of indifference when it comes to players that aren't true difference makers when you move premium assets. Like you don't want to move a CD lamb for a bunch of Isaiah, Isaiah Hodgins. Yep. That doesn't actually help your team. It may be that you look at that six week span and be like, look, if I can get this guy or this these six guys to do it, for the entire season, then I got a full lineup, but those are more or less just roster cloggers at the end of the day. So like, it, it's a very um, sensitive move when you make those moves, because you want to make sure you're getting the proper value back, but to split the assets up is not the worst move in the world. You yep. just have to make sure they're the right assets. hundred percent. All right, there we go. That's your little theory segment uh, of this week's episode. We won't uh, keep you guys waiting much longer. Tim. Who are we talking about this week? What player? So this week, I'm going with Juju. I think he fits really well into both discussions that we've had the last two weeks. One, he's actually, he's really dropping in market value in the last in the last two months. He's dropped a full round in startup value or even just value on KTC when it comes to his rank. He's, got, he's dropped 11 players, 11 spots. So in a 12-team league, he's dropped a full round. Um, so when it comes to like a guy like Juju, he's a perfect example of someone to fill a flex spot because Juju is always going to be underpriced for his performance. The thing with Juju is that he's not consistent in his, in his scoring, which is mm -hmm. why you don't want him as a main wide receiver on your roster. But if he's your wide receiver five or six on your team and he's your second flex, that's not really the, the worst position to be in. Cause there's yep. going to be a lot more dif difficult or worse rosters out there. Like if you kind of look at the ranks, even on, on KTC, which, I think there's better resources for ranks, but if you look at KTC's ranks, it kind of gets pretty ugly after like wide receiver, like 45, 40, because there's a lot of questionable assets or questionable players that may end up doing something, but there's no real definites where to me, Juju was wide receiver 27 last year, which was actually better than, than Meyer, Jacoby Myers, the guy he's replacing. Mm -hmm. Meyer was 28. He was 27. Meyer was 30 the year prior. So, Myers, a uh, uh, wide receiver three, which is great. You know, we, we've always preached to buy him because he's always underpriced. But this is the same thing with Juju now. Yep. Juju was wide receiver 38 in November. He now is wide receiver 57, and he's my wide receiver 45. If we look at Jacoby Myers, he was wide receiver 38 in March. March 1st, he was wide receiver 38. Now he's wide receiver 60. 
So both of these guys are dropping, but I truly believe that this Pat's offense is going to improve. I think that under Patricia, it was absolutely horrid. I don't think it's representative of what Mac Jones is capable of or what the rest of the players are capable of. I really like Ramondre, but I'm concerned that his targets are going to go down. And I think they're, they're going to go more towards the slot receivers and towards the tight ends. And I think that Juju is going to be a major piece of that. I think he's going to get a lot of slot targets and I think it's going to give him a consistent floor where he was kind of floor ceiling when it came to KC, but that's just because the targets are not consistent where a Pat's offense is a little bit more predictable about how they want to find success, especially going downfield. Mac Jones is very accurate. So he's uh he's definitely a guy that will deliver the, the ball if you get open. And I believe that Juju has that in him to do that. I'm not going to say he's going to be wide receiver 27 again, but even if he's wide receiver 36 and he's your fifth wide receiver on your team, you're winning. That means you have four wide receivers that are above wide receiver 36. And that means you're in a really good spot. And for Juju's price, which is a second round pick, a late second, early third, in most situations, if if your draft has gone the way it's supposed to go, you're looking at like a Jalen Hyatt, Tajay Spears there. And I'd much rather take a Juju, a guy that when you when it comes to <coughs> excuse me. I didn't get to the cough button when it comes to week six and you're looking for someone to fill your flex that hits double digit points. And most other rosters are, you know, in a situation where they're playing their rookies because they don't have anybody else. And you get a 10 point to 15 point week from Juju. You're feeling pretty happy about that. So to me, I think it's uh it's going to be a little less feast or famine when it comes to being in new England and he doesn't cost you premium capital. And I, he fits perfectly in a, in any sort of contender plans Maybe not as much in a, re, a rebuilder situation because of the fact that his resale value will never reach the peaks that you're at. He's just going to always have that stink on him. But I think he's definitely worth it at wide receiver 57. I agree. Yeah, well, I'm basically right there with you. You have him at 45. I've got him at 46. Um, so kind of right there in the right spot, in the same spot with you. I think Kansas City drastically misused him last year. He spent almost oh, he spent over 60 percent of his plays lined up out wide. He's a slot receiver. He's a big mm-hmm. slot receiver. That is how he's going to be used in New England. If I had to guess, um, just based off of that, you know, that team's current composition there. And I think he can fit a lot of what Mac Jones really seems to like in a wide receiver, a guy who can just comfortably just sit in that soft zone, find an opening, take his yards, move the ball down the field, be methodical. That's It's been the Bill Belichick led team kind of philosophy, regardless of who the offensive coordinator has been. It's take the yards that they give you. If you can beat them deep, beat them. But otherwise, if you want to give me six yards of play, I'll take six yards of play. I'm going to get in the end zone eventually. So I think he's a perfect fit in that offense. And I, I I'm right there with you that I think he's a really great asset to require. Yeah. As long as he, like, I agree with you. Cause I, I'm assuming he gets a slot role. As long as he doesn't play outside, he's valuable because he's never proven success outside as you said. So I, I'm with you 100% as long as he plays the slot. Yes, sir. Speaking of playing the slot, my guy doesn't do that a whole lot. So we're uh, really not speaking about it at all. But this week, I'm going to tell you guys to buy Amari Cooper um, uh, on keep trade cut. His current price is wide receiver 37, uh, which is way too low for me. Um, I have a wide receiver 26 personally. Um, and he's currently being valued at uh, essentially, I'm not going to waste your time with a bunch of other assets. It's the 112. So 112. What are you what are you getting the 112 this year? Zach Charbonnet, Devin Achain, 
it's pretty much what you're looking at here. Maybe Michael Mayer, uh, if it's a tight end premium league, you may you know go for Mayer there. Uh, maybe Kincaid fell a little bit, but regardless, I'm just going to stick with my trend of telling you guys to buy underpriced aging, quote unquote, assets. Um, and Amari Cooper is just kind of the next guy in line for me uh, in terms of that. Uh, he just had a career high in targets and touchdowns with Amar or with a with Jacoby freaking Brissett throwing him passes. Hey, arguably that's top ten Jacoby freaking Brissett to you. Hey man. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, he's getting a quarterback upgrade in Deshaun Watson. I mean, say what you want about Deshaun Watson. We all know how I feel about him, how I feel about him as a person and off the field. But if Deshaun Watson on the field is 80% of the guy he was when we last saw him play a full NFL season, it's the best quarterback that Amari Cooper's ever going to have played with. No knock to Dak, no knock to anybody there. That's just... Deshaun is that good. He he was a lot of ours before, you know, all of the stuff came out about what he was doing off the field. He was a lot of our quarterback three to quarterback two, quarterback four, like right in that range of a premium asset. And he still got that upside. Um, and, and so I think Amari's in line for a really big jump here. He just finished 16th in targets and target share, fifth in overall air yards, 12th in deep targets and red zone targets, all while being 86th in target accuracy. So, he was getting deep balls thrown his way a lot. He was getting balls thrown his way a lot in general. Not many people were seeing the ball more frequently than he was in the red zone. And he put up 14 and a half points per game, which was good enough for wide receiver 17. And we're valuing him much lower, probably because of age, probably because we're obsessed with younger assets here. But Amari just shows up and performs every year. And we just got to stop asking questions about it. Uh, if we look back the past five years, uh, starting in 2018, um, 14.4 points per game, 15.4 points per game, 14.8 points per game, 13.5 points per game, and 14.5 points per game. Yeah, if your wide receiver is only getting 14 and a half points per game, maybe you're a little disappointed. But again, if he's your wide receiver three or a flex on your team, if you got three wide receivers in the top 16 at the position, you're doing pretty good. So take your 112s, especially if you're a competitive team, and just supplement your assets with with other really good assets and, and take advantage of kind of the perpetual again perpetual down market on a guy like amari just because yeah he never reached the wide receiver one ceiling that we all think and probably know honestly that he has but that's okay he's a really really good fantasy asset who is a great addition to your lineup and if you're even if you're a non-competitive team but you have the 112 there's a lot of ways for that to jump up. Amari gets moved for first every single year. We don't really ask questions about it. He'll get moved for first again. If you're trading the 112 for a random 24 first and that 24 first could end up anywhere from the 101 to the 111 or 112. We don't know, but maybe you're a competitive team. Maybe this turns you in from that pretender to that contender. I'm not I'm not saying Amari's going to do that to your team, but he's a really good asset to acquire regardless of the the team situation that you're in just because there is a, a path for him to continue seeing a little bit of a value increase if 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 deshaun watson and him build build chemistry five weeks into the season we're going to see him going for crazy packages so the the price is only going to go up with amari in my opinion um with this offense probably you know looking like they're going to throw more than they ever have before and i'm i'm not hopping on the amari train because i've been on it for like four years now but i'm going to continue encouraging you to hop on the amari train I love it. He's my wide receiver 24, so I'm right there with you. Yeah. There's he's just no reason there's no reason for him to be so low. Yeah. He's the last uh wide receiver in that tier four with DK Metcalf, if you want to know that. That's my how big my tier four is. There you go. Uh, we actually had the same discussion in a group chat earlier, actually probably last week. Um 
we talked about Amari for a first. Amari for 112. And I think we talked last week about moving Kincaid for wide receivers with high ceilings. I think yeah. that Amari Cooper fits that role. And Amari Cooper has shown no uh, inclination of slowing down whatsoever. He really – okay, so for Watson not not playing for almost two years, Watson you know, having to shake the rust off, There, ha- I think the assessment of Watson is through a different color glasses because a lot of people do not like what he did off the field. And I think everyone should not like what he did off the field. But it has nothing to do with his play on the field. He showed vast improvement throughout the season when it came to making the proper reads, delivering the ball. His delivery still looks great, especially up the seam. Yeah. Um, anything uh, when he's throwing, I know that he'd had some nice open shots to the sideline on Mari, but anything that he's throwing up the hash marks looks really good. So I have a lot of faith moving forward with Watson. I'm a big Watson guy. Harry had a bunch of him on my fantasy teams before he decided to be a creep, but I held on. So we'll see how that works in his first full season. But yeah, Amari Cooper is to me a perpetual buy. And if you're moving, if you're a contender and you're moving 110, 111, 112, I don't consider that a premium asset. So you're getting premium exactly. performances on big weeks when it comes to boom weeks from Amari Cooper that are going to win you those weeks. So you're, you're getting a semi premium asset for non premium costs. And I'm in for it every single time. Yes, we are. That's been our episode this week, everybody. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, make sure you hop in the Discord. Make sure you check out the Patreon. Make sure you sign up on Underdog Fantasy with code JWB for $100, a deposit match up to $100. And we will see you all in the next video.